If you're still on the hunt for a sports book to call home, bet the nonstop action of March Madness with my bookie. Enter bracket contests for a chance to take home prizes of up to $25,000 or pick from a huge selection of straight bets, props, and odds boosts. Whatever your style, MyBookie makes it easy to play your way and get paid. Sign up now and take advantage of our generous welcome offer to score a massive first deposit bonus of up to $1,000. All you have to do is claim promo code MADNESS50. But the fun doesn't stop there. Get up to the minute odds, free bets, and expert predictions to help you decide who to put your money on. The best part about MyBookie? You can bet on anything, anytime, from anywhere. Use promo code MADNESS50, that's MADNESS50, to secure your limited-time welcome bonus today. What's up, everybody? It's podcast time, and we've got a pretty good one set out for you here tonight. Oklahoma softball national champions. Uh, we all saw that coming, but definitely wasn't as easy as some people thought it would be. We're going to talk about the NCAA uh, Women's College World Series. I started to say NCAA tournament, but I guess it's a part of the tournament, but it's two different things. I, I don't know, but uh, we've been on it all season long, and uh, we'll give you our closing thoughts on Oklahoma softball. Rich is asking true or false questions. And then we've got some football stuff. Isaiah Thomas getting in a little bit of trouble. We got an offensive lineman in the transfer portal, and we got a running back coming out of the transfer portal. If you listen to us um, last week, we uh, we kind of told you this was going to come, as well as Oklahoma having a weekend camp and sending out all kinds of offers. Man, this is going to be a real quick and fun episode. I don't know if I said this, Rich, but you got your false. Do we want to do that at the top or do you want to just kind of keep it in the middle like Man, you normally do? I, I've got it scheduled for right in the middle. All right. So let's start with it's, it's a good transition for us. It is. I just I always feel bad because I feel like whenever you have true or false questions, like we cover half of your questions in our in our conversation. Yeah, but, but here's the before, thing, man, is, is I got to, to that. Not only did I pick the true or false questions, I know that I I submitted the, the topics for us to, to discuss oh, and they're I not going to overlap at all. Uh, so we're, right. we're good. Got, I think we're good. all kinds of smart on this then, didn't you? Okay. Well, your silence is just going to leave it at that. Let's, let's talk about, <laughs> let's talk about Isaiah Thomas, Oklahoma's defensive lineman, uh, second team, all conference last season arrested uh, overnight. And, and here's the thing, the, there, there are some, there are some reports out there that it was the DUI and I'm not saying uh, with a hundred percent certainty that it was not DUI. What I am saying is if you go to heartland-sports.com, you can see his mugshot and you can see the arrest record. You can see that he is being held on petty larceny. And the story is he failed to appear on in court on this charge. So this is not a, a brand new charge on Saturday or Sunday. He got caught stealing something. This is something that dates back and he didn't go to court. Now, the thing about it is, is, is it smart for Isaiah Thomas not to go to court? No, absolutely not smart at all. Is it smart for Isaiah Thomas to ditch out on his, um, on his court appearance? Somebody should have given him better advice. It's also not smart to steal things. Okay. So here's a guy who's going to pay some civic responsibilities, some civic duty type stuff. He's going to pay a fine. He's going to get probably some community service, but I feel like coming off of the saga with Seth McGowan and Trajan Bridges, you've got this, this run towards the cliff of insanity happening for the Sooner Nation when it talks about, in terms of players getting in trouble with the law. And I, I just, I feel like we just have to be so careful here with this. Am I condoning what Isaiah Thomas did? Not at all. But am I putting what Isaiah Thomas did? I mean, petty larceny? I just told you, you can go and look at it. It's right there on our website. The charge is petty larceny. Are we going to really try to hold that in the same in the same uh, level or with the same weight as, as felony assault with the firearm? There's a reason why Trajan Bridges and Seth McGowan are no longer on this team. And, and here's the reason. I, I'll, I'll shut up after this and let you share any thoughts you have. But here's what it comes down to. Isaiah Thomas is going to get punished by his coaches. 
and he's going to run stadiums. He's going to do lifting. He's going to do whatever the coaches say he's going to do. And he's going to do it because he, he knows he can be a NFL draft pick and make a lot of money next year. So he's going to do whatever the coaches tell him to do. And whatever punishment the coaches deal out to Isaiah Thomas, it's probably going to be worse than whatever civil punishment comes his way via community service or fines. And that's the reason why Isaiah Thomas is still going to be on this team, because you can't say the same thing about Seth McGowan. You can't say the same thing about Trajan Bridges. Whatever, whatever punishment comes their way through the judicial system is 100% going to be worse than whatever Lincoln Riley and, and the strength and conditioning coaches and whatever could do to them. And so it, it, this is a bad situation. It's, it's a bad perception for the university but it's definitely not the end of the road for Isaiah Thomas in the Crimson and Cream. And I think Oklahoma fans who are thinking that probably need to step back off the ledge just a little bit. I, I can see this going down as a, as a one-game suspension for the season opener. Or I can see this going down as a situation where everything's handled in-house. But at the end of the day, I, I think either one of those would be just fine. Your thoughts, Rich? I am going to agree with you on a majority of what you said, and it's largely because of what you've mentioned here, Matt, in that this was a known issue. It was something that I'm sure the coaching staff has been aware of. Now, the court date is the thing that comes as a surprise. It's the missing of the court date and then being booked in, having a mugshot taken, obviously, and then reports following suit. It's very easy, I believe, for those of us who are a fan of the game, for those of us who are a fan of the Oklahoma Sooners, and anyone who is not a fan of the Oklahoma Sooners to see this and see the string of what's happened, read a headline and begin to make any kind of assumptions and judgments on the situation and what's going to happen. The truth of the matter is though, Matt, is none of us sitting outside of that office with Lincoln Riley know how the university and know how this program specifically are going to handle the situation. We know that in the past, there have been things that may not be a criminal act according to a court of law, but according to the NCAA are, and players are punished for that as well. So I do have to take the side of the crime. The punishment has to fit the crime. And I'm not willing to go beyond that. I would say that um, even if it was a Texas Longhorn, it, it wouldn't matter. The punishment does need to fit the crime here. And ultimately, we'll see a guy like Isaiah Thomas back on the field. But you do have to wonder, will he miss that first game? Will he miss a half and of course regardless of how much time he misses there are going to be those who criticize the decision because at the collegiate level of sports and when you're in the spotlight especially when it comes to not just the Oklahoma Sooners but also when it comes to any other major program that's in the spotlight we can say the the Clemson Tigers are one of those as well or we can say Ohio State, the, the Buckeyes, fall into this category. There, there are a handful who will always receive the scrutiny regardless of the decision. But again, at the end of the day, if the punishment fits the crime, I, I think that's, that's good enough for me. Well, anytime you have rivals, you're going to be you're going to be criticized. Number one for having for having issues on your team, and then number two for however you handle those issues. There, there's not going to be in in the eyes of the rivals, in the eyes of the you know of those who just look to criticize. There's not going to be a, a correct way for Lincoln Riley to address this. And this is, I mean, this is a, a tough offseason so far for Lincoln Riley. You you've got the Bridges uh, situation with with Seth McGowan. Now you've got this. Um, so it's, I mean, look, it's, it's a tough off season. It is what it is, but at the end of the day, I think it's something that you just, you move on from it. It's, I, there, this is a non-story, not to downplay stealing, stealing's bad. I mean, that society frowns upon stealing and, and shame on Isaiah Thomas for whatever he stole. But let's keep in mind it's very minor It's petty larceny. All right. Not grand larceny. So we're, we're talking about something that's very small by definition, petty, right? So let's, let's let, let's let Lincoln Riley do his job. He gets paid millions of dollars to do it and let's move on and allow this thing to play out. And we'll hundred percent feel like we'll see Isaiah Thomas on the field well, next fall. Can we play the hypothetical game here? Because Man, I, I know a lot of people, a lot game, of people are going to question. A lot of people are going to question this. What we know, Matt, about Isaiah Thomas was that he became this star performer 
at the beginning of last season and more specifically through the first six games when there was no Ronnie Perkins, people were questioning where is the pressure from this defensive line going to come from? I know that there were a couple of Juco kids in the middle and we wanted to see their presence. We wanted to see their impact, but ultimately it was Isaiah Thomas who was playing opposite of a guy like Nick Benito, who found a lot of freedom to work in the backfield. Right. When we look at Isaiah Thomas, whether he plays the first game or he doesn't, are you expecting a similar level of, of production from that defensive line? Because you've got to remember, there are several names that didn't play last year who are high level talents, impact players, if you will, and will be stepping back into the field. And the name that continuously comes to mind for me is a Javen Redmond. Right. Yeah. I said on the article that I wrote about this story um, that with or without Isaiah, cause I, I said, I did hypotheticals, you know, worst case scenario, this plays out and Isaiah Thomas is dismissed from the team. Again, I think there's less than a 1% chance that that happens, but should it happen, you're looking at a roster that went 13 deep on the defensive line on the spring roster, 13 deep on the defensive line. And the names in there are like Perry on Winfrey. You mentioned Jalen Redmond, you know, Josh Ellison. Um, so there, it's not like this is a, a ragtag group of guys mm-hmm. and, and losing Isaiah Thomas is going to be a, a, a season killer with or without him. This will be the best defensive line in the big 12 with or without him. This will be one of the top defensive lines in the nation. And it's going to be with him. He, he's going to be there. But if not, if not, this is a group that is, is incredibly talented and incredibly deep and will continue to do the things that we would expect them to do going into this season. There are positions on this team where losing a key guy would really be a, a, a you know, a deal breaker. It would, it could set the season back, but this defensive line position is not one of those. That's a good take. It's absolutely a good take. When we look at the depth of this defensive line and we look at that productivity, I I do think you've hit the nail on the head because a lot of that I attribute to a guy, whether it's Perry and Winfrey or whether it's Josh Ellison there in the middle. These were the real difference makers for me. And then you have, of course, that support coming from that defensive end. But when you have a guy who can get pressure up the middle, it completely changes the equation Mm -hmm. for you. So even with or without Isaiah Thomas available, I still think this is a defensive line that puts up very similar numbers to what we've seen last year. And in fact, I'm going to go ahead and say that they they may very well exceed those numbers. Why? Because a lot of those experienced quarterbacks from these opposing teams are gone. Sure, right. there are those returning quarterbacks like a Skylar Thompson who's making everyone in Sooner Nation nervous. I get it. Um, there are some returning quarterbacks but you have to look at what's in front of them as well. Mm-hmm. You have to look at that offensive line and compare talent to talent, productivity to productivity, grit to grit, and say who's going to win out in that matchup nine times out of ten. And the truth of the matter is this, Isaiah Thomas or no Isaiah Thomas, it is going to be the Oklahoma Sooners. Yeah, I'm with you. All right, speaking of Oklahoma Sooners, uh, that's basically what the podcast is about. But softball, take two out of three from Florida State in the championship series of the Women's College World Series. I, Rich, is fitting. They, they dropped the opener of the Women's College World Series to James Madison. They come back, and uh, they win. They survive on, on Survival Saturday. And then they beat um, – they, they lose the first game to Florida State, and, uh, and then they come back and win two in a row. Here's what's crazy about this team. If, if you look at – Starting with Georgia, they lost to Georgia, they lost Oklahoma State, they lost to James Madison, they lost to Florida State. Those are the four losses on the season for Oklahoma softball. But in each of those losses, here's how dangerous this team was. In each of those losses, yeah, you may have walked off the field victorious over them, but they learned what they needed to know about you to make sure you never beat them again. And we saw that happen with Georgia. They, they, they run ruled that second game against Georgia in the regular season. They bounced the Bulldogs out of the, the NCAA tournament uh, at the Women's College World Series in Oklahoma City. We saw what happened with Oklahoma State. They came back and they beat Oklahoma State three times, actually, uh, when you consider the Big 12 tournament. And um, the Big 12 tournament – after the Bedlam series, sorry, I, I got some background noise, my bad. And then you see James Madison and Florida State. Every every time Oklahoma lost, they, they you got to credit the coaching staff. Patty Gasso, hands down, the best softball coach in the country. 
And, and this is the reason why, Rich, you may beat her one time, but in that one time, you're going to give up enough stuff about your team that she's going to guarantee it won't happen again. What was funny about the championship series for me, Matt, was that both teams, both head coaches took an unorthodox approach to who they were going to start. I don't know where this trend came from, not to throw your ace in game one of a three-game series, but it's it's caught on like wildfire because what happens in game one is Oklahoma goes with Nicole May, and she's been phenomenal for a freshman on all accounts. Just wasn't the right person to get the job done on that Tuesday as that championship series was moved back by a day. But again, Florida State does the exact same thing and gets the win. They were riding into that championship series with a lot of momentum. And what you heard after that first loss was the quote, we don't lose again. Right. We're, we're right. not going to lose again. And Oklahoma had the opportunity to step onto the, the field and back that statement up. And that's exactly what they did. There was never a moment that seemed too big for this lineup. There was never a moment that seemed to uh, cause them to implode and to crumble where they were swinging out of desperation. But you, you saw a lot of patience. You saw a lot of takes that a lot of other hitters may not have taken from some of the best pitchers in the country. And so I do want to say this because I fully believe and what I know about this, this women's college world series was that it attracted more attention than it ever has in the past. And we have to say a huge, huge congratulations to Odyssey Alexander and what she meant. Right. Uh, to, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. What she meant to the JMU program and what the JMU program meant to the world of college softball this year, because I know that they don't want to be, they don't want to be counted as the quote unquote underdogs of the, the, the softball world. I know they didn't want to see themselves as a team that didn't deserve to be there, or that was a surprise to be there because they put in just as much work as everybody else and earned their spot. And they went through a tough regional and an equally tough super regional, and then won the first two games of the, the women's college world series, something that was unprecedented. And they captured the heart of an entire country. Um, and I heard this quote from one of the announcers. I'm blanking on the name at this point in time as to who I need to attribute this to, but it was, you're either a fan of softball or you just don't know that you're a fan yet. And I think because of Odyssey Alexander, because of the performances that she gave as a, a two-way player, because of the just the, the very nature of what JMU was doing, they converted a lot of those people who didn't know they were fans of softball into fans of softball. So again, I, I, incredible season, incredible run, and, and a hat tip to all of the teams that were represented at the Women's College World Series. Five of those teams, I believe, were coached by women, which is another huge milestone. And it's that the women continue, the head coaches that are women continue to win this thing and put their teams, put their programs on the map and say, look, we, we, deserve, we deserve every single eye and we deserve all of the attention that we're getting. And so again, I, I, I can't help but applaud these teams, Matt. When I want to talk about Oklahoma, though, what I wanted to say is that Oklahoma clearly took the, the hard way to that championship series, losing on Thursday. From then on out, it was a win or go home situation. They lose, as you've mentioned, the first game of the championship series, and they find themselves, surprise, surprise, in, in familiar territory, which is weird to say about a team that a lot of people said could easily be the best of all time, the best in history. So I, I do have to ask the question as we begin to talk about this, is this Oklahoma Sooner team the best softball team in history? It's I think I, I think so. I think when you when you look at how strong they were offensively and then particularly in this women's college world series, what um, what they did from the circle with G Juarez, um, I I, I I think you have to, Rich, I, the, to go so long without until they lost to um, to Georgia. Georgia, you know, I did, did this. Look at the 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 records that they broke. I mean, it just yeah. I mean, I just I don't see. I know I'm kind of stumbling through this because I'm I'm trying to give credit, all right? Because that 2013 team was really good. That was the um, that was the Lauren Chamberlain team, and and I know that Patty was asked after the championship game uh, after that they 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 finished it off Thursday night. Patty was asked, 
to compare uh, this team to the 2013 team. And she really kind of gave credit to both teams. And, and she's not in a position where she can say, yeah, this team 2021 is definitely better than 2013. She can't do that because she coached both teams. I can do that. I, I can tell you that this 2021 team was better than the 2013 team. And I can also tell you, it was incredible to see alumni like Lauren Chamberlain back there behind that dugout cheering these girls on. When, when Jocelyn Allo was, was chasing the, the home run record for a single season at the University of Oklahoma, she had already tied it with Lauren Chamberlain twice. She tied it once as a freshman. She tied it again this year, and then she broke the record. Her biggest fan, her biggest fan, Rich, was Lauren Chamberlain. Lauren Chamberlain wore a Jocelyn Allo jersey uh, that day in the Super Regional when, when, when Jossie uh, set, set the record. So... I don't think Lauren Chamberlain would have a problem admitting that this team absolutely hands down greatest of all time at the University of Oklahoma and and definitely one of the top three, maybe top five all time in NCAA softball history. This was an incredible team. And Patty talked about it again after the game, uh, after they finalized it against Florida State. And Patty was like, yeah, we knew (laughs) we knew from the beginning we were good, but she has too much class and really too much responsibility to come out and say back in February, we're the best team in the country. And that's the same thing that's going to happen right now. Too much class, too much responsibility to come out and say, yes, this team I just coached is the greatest of all time. But when you look at what they did through the regular season, once again, they run the big 12. uh, They win another championship, just one blemish on their big 12 record. They run through the big 12 tournament. They, they, they run through the regional, the super regional, and then when they stumble out of the gate in Oklahoma City at the Women's College World Series, you think, <laughs> well, wait a minute, maybe not. But then they, you look at the road back, Rich, to survive on Saturday and then survive James Madison twice. You talked about Odyssey Alexander. And this girl, she deserved every bit of that standing ovation that she got from the sold-out crowd there in Oklahoma City. She was incredible. But to, to beat them two times on Sunday – or well, I guess Sunday and then Monday because of the delay, but to beat them two times. You mean to beat, beat, it doesn't matter what, how many days, how many games they're playing to beat Oklahoma twice in general. Well, I'm talking about to come back and have to beat James Madison and Odyssey Alexander two times just to get to Florida state. And then the same thing happens and you're like, Holy cow, maybe they just don't have anything left in the tank. But again, like I said, at the start of this segment, when you beat, Patty Gasso, she learns just enough about you to make sure it never happens again. Yes, the, the coaching staff, and again, I'm, I'm sorry, I, I, but I go back. You remember when they lost uh, Lombardi, Melissa Lombardi? They're like, man, this coaching staff, they, they lost a key cog. They, they got better, Rich. The, the coaching staff is better now than they were. And Lombardi is a fantastic coach. She was one win away from getting to the Women's College World Series. <laughs> right. And so she's a fantastic coach. But to, to lose a person like that and to still have this team do what they did in 2021. And then you throw in COVID. And thinking back to some of these games, especially early on, when you've got some of the team in contact tracing and and not really – Patty Gasso said that they, they would go to practice and they would have players practice out of position just because they don't know from day to day who's going to be available. When you put all that in consideration, I think you have to say they're the best team of all time. I wanted to ask this as a little bit of a follow-up question because you mentioned the number of home runs that Allo hit – this season alone. And I know that her career total is quickly rising as she's got 30. Anytime they play the complete season, she has 30 plus home runs to right. her name. And so when we're looking at Allo and we're looking at the number of home runs hit in comparison to that 2013 team, I felt as though a lot of the emphasis was on the pitching. A lot of the emphasis was who was mm-hmm. going to be in that circle. And you knew that that individual, whoever it might be, was going to throw 100-plus pitches every single night and not really have a, a relief option if they were going to win that, that, that World Series for that specific year. We can go back to Kalani Ricketts for Oklahoma being one of those. We can look at Paige Parker in her younger right. years doing that before Paige Lowry joined the team. I don't feel like that's the case anymore. And a lot of the emphasis is being put on these, these hitters, 
that's not to discredit what the pitchers are doing because they're still delivering a good pitch. The hitters are just so powerful and their technique is textbook. So when they connect with the ball, not only is it a hard hit ball, but it seems as though it has the opportunity to go out, go out of the park more often than not. So my question that, that I'm building up here, the one that I'm building up to is this. Do you feel like we're seeing more home runs than we possibly ever have in the game of softball? Because I know, Matt, we, we've been watching the game for quite some time. Um, and there are specific reasons for that. Obviously, Oklahoma being in Oklahoma City at the Women's College World Series naturally draws eyeballs. It's one of the only sports that's being played at the time. And so it's easy to latch onto that as a fan of the university. But more importantly, as someone who's looking for a sport to watch. And so I know we've seen some of these dominant pitchers. Again, I just don't recall this number of home runs being hit. So do you feel like this is a game that we're, we're favoring hitters at this point in time? And are there potential changes that are coming, much like what they've done with baseball, where they've changed the baseball in major leagues? This is they've changed the baseball. And I feel like we're, we're having more no hitters than we've ever had it in the MLB. No, I don't, I don't think you're going to see any changes. And I, I think it's just kind of what's, what's fresh, what's out there. And, and we're watching one of the greatest players to ever play the sport right here in our own backyard with Jocelyn Allo. She was uh, the national player of the year. Pretty good chance that she can repeat that award again next year because she'll be back um, one more season. And she will leave, barring some sort of injury or something unforeseen, she will leave the University of Oklahoma as the all-time home run leader in NCAA softball. Um, and I, I just think when, when that's fresh in your backyard, what you see is conversations like what you're talking about. Well, the game is changing and we have to do something different, but let's not forget it was pitching that won the World Series for the University of Oklahoma. Yes. With all due respect to Jocelyn Allo and her 30-something home runs on the season and, and the record, the offensive records that the Sooners set at the Women's College World Series just, you know, this year, you take G. Juarez out of the circle, Oklahoma doesn't win this series. Take G. Juarez out of the circle, Oklahoma probably doesn't even make it to the championship series. And so – I understand what we're talking about and just how, how proficient this offense is that Patty Gasso has put together. And let's not forget that Tiara Jennings is coming up behind a Jocelyn Allo and will have a chance to chase Jocelyn Allo's records. She, she is every bit going to be a national player of the year candidate that we see in Jocelyn Allo right now. Definitely deserve the freshman of the year award. Jada Coleman's only, only going to get better. What, what I'm saying is this offense this offensive juggernaut that Patty Gasso is building, I don't think it's going to go away anytime soon, but where, where's Oklahoma really going to miss from this 2021 team? What's going to be missing in 2022? It's going to be those ladies in the circle. It's going to be Shannon sale. It's going to be G Juarez. And you go back to what you talked about, Nicole may starting the, the, on, on Tuesday in the first game of this championship series, that was a, a strategical move by Patty Gasso. She said afterwards that Florida State likes to do some small balls. Without, without using these words, she basically said Nicole May is the most athletic of her pitchers. And so she was going to go that route. And, and even Olivia Reigns got in there and got a little bit of experience in that first game. That was strategical because Nicole May is going to be the ace next year. It's going to be her show next season. And she's going to have this offense to back her up. But going back to what you said, it's just special. This team is special. Jocelyn Allo is a special player. And, um, and I, don't, I don't think you see across the board, I don't think you see the rise of home runs um, unless that team is special. And um, this was definitely a good tournament and a good World Series to highlight some pitching. And you said that, you, we saw that with Odyssey Alexander. Not only did they beat Oklahoma, but they beat Oklahoma State. And for all those SEC crybags out there saying, well, you know, if the game's not in Oklahoma City, then the Sooners and the Cowgirls don't have a chance. Well, you know what? They didn't have a chance against Odyssey Alexander to start the, to start the Women's College World Series. So just suck it up, Buttercup, and, and understand that proximity, where this, where this World Series is played, had nothing to do with Oklahoma being the best team in the country. <laughs> I'm going to tack this on to the end because you've left the door open 
here. And I hear the complaints of it being in Oklahoma City. The truth of the matter is this. The tournament has to be played somewhere. And it's going to play, be played in someone's backyard. The unfortunate scenario that's, that we're currently witnessing for any opposing team is that it just happens to overlap in a time when the Oklahoma Sooners are possibly the best they've ever been in history, and they've sustained that success. But guess what? You don't hear anyone complain when a team from, I don't care if it's the Big Ten, I don't care if it's the Pac-12, I don't care if it's the Big 12, I don't care if it's a mid-major, you don't hear a team complain that they have to go in to New Orleans and play LSU. You don't, you don't hear in, in a bowl game for football, you don't hear anyone complain when another team from one of those conferences plays Alabama there or plays right. Georgia in Atlanta or plays a team like Florida in the Orange Bowl. You don't hear those complaints. It's a moment of put up or shut up. Right. Because clearly any team can be beaten on any given day, but you better bring your A game if you want it to happen because, yes, the fans are going to be there. Well, the best was, <laughs> the best was Alabama fans complaining about Oklahoma City. All right, think about this. Uh, well, they owned Oklahoma City, remember? But, but think about this. If you're Georgia, at least – at least you have an argument because you played the state teams, right? But you're Alabama. You lost to Florida State. You didn't even play Oklahoma. You didn't even make it far enough to play Oklahoma. But yeah, you're making Oklahoma City the reason you lost to Florida State. I mean, that's just, it's just ridiculous. Um, this is going to be a good team, a good team again next year. Uh, I don't think they're going to be this good, Rich. I mean, they're, they're, we're seeing something special. They will be front runners in the Big 12. They'll be, front, they'll be favorites to make it back to Oklahoma City. But they won't be as special, I don't think, as what we saw in 2021. We're yeah, the one thing okay. So the one thing they're gonna be lacking is is that pitching. Right. And I know that that we've discussed that, but when you see what Giselle Juarez was bringing to the table in the women's college world series, when you saw just how deadly her rise ball was, when you saw that she was getting called strike threes, you knew that something something was unfolding that you may not see in the next decade. Yeah. Juarez was for sure in the tournament, one of the best players, if not the best player, which earned her the most outstanding player of the Absolutely. Women's College World Series. But I think there were some some other names that may have been deserving of consideration in that. And that's specifically a player like Lou Donahue, who had, who had three home runs bat, three home runs coming into that tournament, and then hits another three on Saturday alone you talk about a coming out party this was right. certainly one for donahue and i think she cemented herself as a name that people around the big 12 need to be familiar with but more importantly she's becoming that household name she's becoming that individual that players who grow up in oklahoma and play high school ball in oklahoma are going to want to mimic because that's exactly what lou donahue did well, let's not forget the 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 catches that she made in the outfield yes. as well. I yes. mean, she was fantastic behind the plate, but she was spectacular in the outfield um, also. So, um, yeah, good stuff. Uh, true or false coming up. Rich is the guy who's asking the questions, and we're going to jump to that next. Oh, all right, Matt. We're going to continue a little bit of softball talk here for you because I've reserved these questions, even though they've come up a little bit in conversation specifically for you, just to get a hot take where you are not prepared whatsoever for what I'm about to ask, but we're going to ask him anyway. And that first one is it, it does center around Giselle Juarez. We just mentioned the award that she took home from the tournament as the most outstanding player. But what we do know, and at one point in time, Matt, I believe you said that Shannon sale was mm -hmm. the ACE there was another, as we were heading into the postseason, I was the one saying Nicole May was the most ready of these, these Oklahoma Sooner pitchers to step into the circle and deliver a win. And my mind was completely changed. But all of the focus from day one up until the Women's College World Series was about Montana Fouts. And rightfully so. I mean, she threw a perfect game right, right. in Oklahoma City, which was very, very unexpected and very rare at that stage of the game that late into the season. What we look at though, with Giselle Juarez, that was that she picked up five of Oklahoma city or Oklahoma City's the Oklahoma Sooners wins in Oklahoma Sooners so in Oklahoma city. I felt like I need to restart that statement, but I'm not going to. So Jew or false Giselle Juarez proved that she was the best pitcher in all of college softball. 
at the tournament. At the tournament. Okay. True. No, no, no. She proved that she was the best pitcher in all no. of college softball with her performance at the tournament. No, that's false. I mean, she was definitely the best. She, she caught fire at the right time. Uh, she was the best pitcher in Oklahoma city of the eight teams that are and in Montana Fauci. You're right. Interesting enough. It was Florida state that she, she pitched the perfect game against. And then the Seminoles come back and, and was it Florida state? Now that I think about it, um, <clears throat> Seminoles come back and win, uh, make it UCLA. I don't know anymore. Yeah, I think you're We'd right. We'd have to go it's back UCLA. and look. No, it was definitely hundred percent UCLA. Um, if we could edit this instead of doing it live, I would take that out, but you're right. UCLA, I knew it was one of the teams that Oklahoma faced, but the point is that, um, G Juarez was the best pitcher in Oklahoma city. She deserved the, the MVP award that she was given at the end of that tournament, but across the season, she wasn't, she wasn't Oklahoma's best pitcher. And, and the reason why was because she was still rehabbing and recovering from that bicep injury. And she was learning. She finally found her stride again uh, as, as they came to Oklahoma city. And let's not forget, did we even see T Juarez at the super regional? Right. I mean, th this is, it's, I'm, I'm trying to be careful here because I don't want to say something that just sounds completely ignorant. Like I've already done, but the point is she hit the, kind of found her stride in the right moment mm -hmm. at this women's college world series. She was the most dominant person in the circle at the women's college world series. And she had the confidence of having that offense behind her. And, and a lot of, we can't underplay how valuable that is on a, on a person to kind of give them the, the mem, the moments relax knowing, Hey, if I give up a run here, I've got, I got five or six runs banked right over there in the dugout when they come to the plate and there wasn't another team in Oklahoma City who had that luxury, including Montana Fouts. So all that said, I'm coming back around to say it's false. She was not the best pitcher in the nation this season, but she was definitely the best pitcher in Oklahoma City. I think before Juarez stepped into the circle at the Women's College World Series, it had been two weeks since she appeared in a game. Two right. weeks. Right. Still, her record on the season is 24 and one. And so it speaks to the level of talent that she has. It speaks to some of the confidence that she had to relearn. I don't know if you remember this, Matt, but early in her career, while she was at Arizona State, she hit a batter throwing the inside pitch right, and right. was afraid to go back to it. Mm -hmm. What did we see consistently in Oklahoma City? What did we see in the Big 12 tournament? What, when she was playing, what did we see from her consistently? It was these inside pitches on the hands of the batter, the left-handed batters, and the rise ball against the right-hand batters. Mm -hmm. And she was excellent at hitting every single mark. Very, very talented individual, deserving of the number two overall pick in, in the softball draft. Um, and we're going to continue with this theme because I know that I asked you about the number of home runs and kind of the rise of the hitter versus what we're looking at in the pitcher and saying that the pitcher is the star player on each and every single team. When we look at this, this season, and we look at the Oklahoma Sooners, what we know is that they set an NCAA record for the number of home runs hit in a single season. Mm -hmm. When we look at that number specifically true or false, because you've already said this as a special team, true or false, that's a mark that will never be bested. Yeah. I don't, I think they could break it next year. Because look at who's coming back. I mean, they lost Nicole Mendez out of this lineup, okay? When you look at the players that, that they are losing off of this team, you're losing two great arms in the circle, and Shannon Sale and, and G. Juarez. And then you're losing Nicole Mendez, who, who could do it all. She could slap. She could bunt. She could go yard. But – I you mean, could step in and pitch for you too if you needed her to. Exactly. Too. So, but we know, you know, Patty Gass is going to replace her with someone who's completely capable. You had a girl like Grace Green who just kind of, she was an all conference player. And Grace Green just kind of went into the dugout and just was a, was a, a pinch hitter here and there throughout the season. So, even though you're losing Mendez, you're not necessarily losing power out of this lineup in 2021. All right. So, excuse me, 2022. Um, so I think when Hawaii set the record, they probably thought the record was safe for 50 years or maybe for eternity. And then here comes Oklahoma and just crushes it. I don't, I don't, I wouldn't put it past Oklahoma to beat this record again next year. 
Because like I said, Jada Coleman, she's just going to get better. Tiara Jennings, she's going to already chase Jocelyn Allo. Jocelyn Allo is going to be back in this lineup. Uh, that You don't lose. This lineup is, does not get worse. This lineup is still going to bring out all of the fear that any opposing pitcher is going to have against them. And we're going to see six home run games. We're, we're going to see back to back to back home runs. You're going to see this team be every bit as powerful in 2022 as they were this last year. And it's going to be fun to see if they can chase their own record. So I don't think you can say for sure that it's a record that will stand forever. So I'm going to have to go false again. Well, I'm glad that you're mentioning Nicole Mendez because she found herself not intentionally at in the midst of a little bit of a controversy and it had nothing to do with her. It had nothing to do with any of the other players on the field. It had everything to do with the lack of instant replay. So I have to ask, that's been a point of contention. It's something that coaches have constantly made comments on and saying at this level, we even asked these questions, Matt, I feel like last week, Um, but I'm going to, I'm going to get your take on it this week and say by 20, you, you asked me this question, didn't you? I'm about to ask you the exact same one. <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna change it up on you then, okay? I'm gonna I was gonna say true. You. I was actually gonna agree with you one, mm-hmm. but go ahead. I'm not. I'm not gonna say in 2022 will they have instant replay at the the women's college world series. I'm gonna say in 2022 will they have instant replay in the postseason, complete postseason See? of the NCAA tournament for softball. See, man, I was going to go from agreeing with you to now I have to disagree. And I I think that's going to be false. I don't think they'll have it in the postseason, but I definitely think that they will have it at the women's college world series. And, and here's the reason why I think that you go back to the, those late nights, right? The Saturday nights and how late those games went and everybody criticizing and complaining and griping about it. It wasn't fair that Florida state had to play so late. It wasn't fair that Oklahoma got, pushed back to to when they did and and then what happens on sunday sunday you have bad weather again and they're like oh we're not making this mistake again we're gonna fix we're gonna fix it and we're just gonna push back the world series right we're gonna make it end on thursday instead of wednesday we'll start the championship series on tuesday instead of monday and we'll finish these two games they already made a, a strong correction right on the spot the other big complaint was the lack of instant replay. And it really burned Oklahoma twice. So you had a, a bad call against James Madison in the opener that ended up being the decisive run. And then you had the bad play with Nicole Mendez in a game that Oklahoma ended up winning anyway. But still, that 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 Nicole Mendez play against Florida State, it wasn't even close, Rich. It, it's not like it's not like you could go, well, you know, the foot hit the bag just a fraction of a second before the ball came in the glove. I mean, she was midway through the base when the ball came into the glove. To miss that at that level is an egregious error by the first base umpire. Didn't need replay on that one. That, that should have been fixed. So I think you have to address a, a, a quality of officiating, officiating issue there. But I do think, you know, ESPN, they kept touting the number of cameras that they had there at the Women's College mm-hmm. World Series. We're going to get right. you from every angle. And Patty Gasso even said after one of the games, I think it was in, in, in relation to this very play we're talking about, where Patty Gasso said, you know what, uh, how many cameras are here? You know, because she's kind of joking about that, how ESPN had been touting the number of cameras they have in Oklahoma City is, why can this not happen on this stage? You don't Mm -hmm. have to have it at every stadium in America. The Women's College World Series is played in one stadium. And you've got all these cameras, 46 cameras, whatever there. So put it in. And I think they'll fix that. And I do think you'll see replay in Oklahoma City next year. But not not in the entire postseason. I'm going to ask you a bonus question then, because I I feel like I robbed you on that one. I'm going to throw in the third complaint that I heard. And that was the seedings for the NCAA tournament. No explanations being offered from one to 16 or why the rest of the field of 64 outside of those 16 are funneled into specific locations outside. And I, I said the the big dictator is money here. Mm -hmm. It's always about money and it's always about how much money, how much profit can be made off of these individuals by one potentially not having them travel as far, but pairing 
quality programs like Washington as a 16 seed, which never should have happened. Washington as a 16 seed coming to Norman as the number one seed and then putting that game on ABC. So the, the follow-up, the bonus question one, the bonus question that I'm going to give you here, Matt, true or false, is will, true or false, the NCAA will adjust not only how they reveal and their explanations to the seedings, but they'll also adjust the scheduling for the Women's College World Series. Um, man, that's, that's a two-part. I think you might see a, a schedule adjustment in Oklahoma City. I don't think you're going to see anything in terms of the, the way the seedings are, are done and the way they're explained. And, and let me say this. Um, you know, I know the Big Ten, they thought that they really kind of got hosed um, with seeding, but the Big Ten only played Big Ten teams. They, they didn't play out of conference. Right. And so you, they really didn't have an argument because there was no, there wasn't a sample size there that you could compare them across other leagues. I Washington, yeah, Washington had an argument there, but um, but at the end of the day, you see this every NCAA tournament, you see it in baseball, you see it in softball, you see it in basketball, you see it in golf, where people are like, man, didn't this team deserve to be mm -hmm. a, a higher seed or whoa, that team, they made a three seed, they're, they're at best a seven seed, you know, you, you see that across the board with NCAA tournaments. And I think it's something that's going to continue. It's never going to change. And that's what, I mean, that's what's great about it. And you can even dumb it down to the four teams that make the playoffs in, in college football. Every year, there's an argument about that number four team. There's hardly ever an argument about number one and number two. Sometimes there's an argument about number three, but number four is really where everyone draws a line. Well, why does this, why does Oklahoma get to be number four? They lost uh -huh. to Texas. So as long as you have sports. I have an easy solution though for all of that. There, but there isn't. I mean, again, as long as you have, I, I, I'd love oh, to hear your is. solution, but as long as you have sports and as long as you have selections, you're going to have controversy. Let's see. What do you got? Give me your solution. Here's the solution for the college football playoff. It's to expand it. But still. I don't you, know that that's, that's going to happen in the near future. But well, here's you know the thing, Matt. You know they brought it to the board. The power that, five. I'm mm -hmm, just saying. They, they, they brought that the power. The power five conference champions get an automatic buy. Yeah into the college football playoff. But here's the thing is it really and truly in order for it to be a no arguments kind of situation, it needs to be a 16 team playoff and they're not going to jump from four to 16. There's just no way. But even at that, you're still going to have arguments at that numbers, 14, 15 and 16. I'm just saying it's, you're never going to fix it. You're, you're going to have arguments, but we wouldn't argue over now. number four. <laughs> but it, but also you're going to be arguing over seeding. I mean, why? Again, you got 16 teams. Mm -hmm. This team, Texas A&M's number eight. No, they should be 12. They shouldn't be number eight. Well, they, sh they should. They host. have no losses. So I I'm just, number one. The the point I'm making is you're always going to have those arguments, and it's kind of the to me, it's kind of the right. fun of the sport. It is. It's it's what keeps people active online. That's for sure. Right. Hey, I'm going to switch gears on you here for a moment because I want to I want to look at football in this upcoming season, as I know that a lot of the conversation and a lot of the focus will go from the spring sports. I know that the, the College World Series has yet to be played. But what I do know is that the Oklahoma Sooners will not be there. So I suppose <laughs> that our interest lies in Norman aren't we're, we're not too heavily vested in the College World Series for baseball, but needless yeah. to say, a lot everyone's of that focus is going to be, yeah. everyone's focus is shifting and very rapidly to football. So when we look at this football season, Matt, I know there's a lot of recruiting being done. I know there's a lot of workouts that are being done. I know there's a lot of analysis that's being done on individual players. And I read this article today and I wanted to get your take on it because it says that Marvin Mims will be the best returning Big 12 wide receiver, true or false? Ooh, that's a good one. Um, best returning Big 12 receiver. I'm going to go true on that. I think Marvin Mims is going to be a star next year. And I think the reason why is twofold. Number one, he's good. He's really good. We learned that about him as a freshman uh, in 2020. But the second thing is he's going to be on, on, a, on a team that's stacked at the receiver position. And again, Lincoln Riley is so good at trying to find those mismatches. 
And this receiving core is going to be better in 2021 than they were in 2020. So you can't, you can't give one receiver all the attention and Marvin Mims is going to be that guy who's going to find a hole in the zone. He's going to find his way down the seam and he's going to make plays. I, I hate comparing younger players to older, older season veterans, but Marvin Mims very much equates into that CD lamb mold. When you see progression from one year to the next, I think you're going to see the exact same thing with him. Uh, and I'm going to go with a true on this one, Rich. All right. Well, we'll get to the recruiting side of that conversation here in a little bit. And I'm going to give us a, a little bit of a sneak peek here and what I was hoping to discuss a little bit later on in this podcast. And that's just a very simple true or false question, Matt. I, I've been really high on Gentry Williams. You see the talent that he is, but more importantly than that is he's homegrown uh-huh. talent. Everybody wants to make this big deal about Oklahoma missing out on the top prospects in the state of Oklahoma year after year after year, yet continuing to basically reign over the Big 12 and make a push for that college football playoff every single time that they're out on on the field. So when we look at this recruiting class and we look at the 2022 cycle, true or false, Oklahoma will once again miss out on the top recruits in the state of Oklahoma. Well, that, man, that's, you're coming, you're coming with the hard ones this, uh, this time, Rich. And I, I don't, I don't think they're out on Gentry Williams. He's in Norman over just over this last weekend. And, um, and so I don't think that they're out of the picture with him. Well, and you um, know that he was committed and then decommitted. It, well, that's what I was about to say, you know, so he, we, we know there's interest there with him. My, my question is though, are, here, here's why this is a difficult question to answer because my question is, are the rankings going to hold? You know, and and when when you get a commitment, uh, an Ethan Downs, who's the number one player in the state of Oklahoma, and then he commits and suddenly Ethan Downs becomes the number two player in the state of Oklahoma. And therefore you miss out (laughs) on the number one guy, you know, so it's it's just hard to answer. But I do think if we're talking specifically about Gentry Williams and if we're talking specifically if he's going to stay the number one player in the state of Oklahoma. I think there's still a good chance Oklahoma gets him. They're by no means out, but this is a kid, and I encourage kids. I, you heard, you've heard me talk about recruiting. You've heard the story about my son. You were there. We were friends when my son was going through the recruiting process. If you are a recruit, whether you're a high-profile recruit or you're a guy just getting phone calls and emails from coaches, take advantage of that time. Don't settle right at the front. Even if you commit, still make visits, go and see what other schools have to offer. We spent uh, some time on this podcast last week talking about Luther Burden and, and how Oklahoma social media was melting down because he was in Missouri. That's his home state. Go take that visit and enjoy those moments, but also understand he's coming to Oklahoma uh, for the, for the champion barbecue. He's still committed to the Sooners as of this moment. So I, I just, when you look at Ginger Williams, He's not a high drama kid, in my opinion. He's a kid who's just said, you know what? I want to look at all of my options before I make a decision. And Oklahoma is still very much in the mix with him. I, th- I do think there's a good chance that they get him. But I also think there's a chance based on, on history that if Oklahoma does get him, he won't be the top player in the state. You know, you just, we've seen it happen. So it's a hard question to ask. Uh, but I'm going to say, I'm going to say it's false based on what I know right now about these rankings and Gentry Williams. Okay, there you have it. That's all five of the true or false questions for this week. But we are going to plus the bonus one. Plus the bonus. <laughs> we are going to stick with uh, with football, though. I want to talk about Stacy Wilkins going into the transfer portal. This one, but to me, Rich, absolutely not a surprise. Uh, when you, we've talked about the, the depth of this offensive line, we talked about Bill Bedenboe and and just the the what the grind he puts his guys through to get to his. his his starting five, you got guys like Wanya Morris coming in. You got Robert, Robert Congle coming in from Arizona. And it's, it's something has to give. Stacey Wilkins is a guy who's got a lot of eligibility left. He's not been able to work his way on the field since he transferred to the University of Oklahoma. And when you, when you look at the battle that lays before him to try to get on the field, I think, you know, I, I think we should have seen this coming is what I'm saying. Um, and it's, I don't think it's something that hurts this team at all. 
one of the things that the reason I say that I'm not surprised by this move, one is that Stacey Wilkins has four years of eligibility left. And when you look at the depth that this offensive line has, and you look at the talent that they mm. consistently produce and the number of individuals who have starting experience ahead of Stacey Wilkins coming back, it, again, it, it points to something has to give. You've already mentioned the transfers that are coming in and are also going to be vying for those same spots, but maybe possess a little more on the field experience right. than a Stacey Wilkins does. And it becomes a very difficult situation to assess and say, I want to stay in the midst of that when you could basically go somewhere else and have your entire career ahead of you, but get more playing time and be offered more playing time. The reason, though, that I'm really not surprised by Stacey Wilkins is because towards October of 2020, we're, we're in middle of the season here, by the way. Uh -huh. All the rumors began to swirl that Stacey Wilkins was transferring and that his name was no longer on the roster. Now, I'm not going to go in and speculate why that was and why it's taken him so long to officially make a decision to transfer, but the speculation happened then. Wilkins right. stepped into the conversation and said, I'm not transferring anywhere, and now here we are, and he is transferring. So I think the idea may have been planted sometime along the, along the season in October, late October, early November as the offensive line basically has weeded themselves out. And this, this is the group that they were going to go with. And this was the one that Bill Beatonbow had trusted to either open up gaps or protect the quarterback. And Stacy Wilkins was not a featured player in that. One of the other names, Matt, that we haven't even mentioned on this segment when it comes to the offensive line is a guy like Ray Walker, who right, exactly. I know, is everyone saying that he's he's having a phenomenal off season so far? So I'm hoping that again, you look at the depth there, you look at the talent. Bray Walker, uh, depending on which recruiting service you looked at, I know was a five star recruit coming in, and there's always been a high expectation for him. And there's been this, especially for those that are uh, from the south side of Oklahoma City, there's been this desire to see him play and to live up the, to the billing that he was given. So there's a lot of names to choose from on this offensive line. There's a lot of talent there. And then you add in the transfers and we can even go back to a Chris Murray stepping into this equation. And all of a sudden, Wanya Morris joining that. You've mentioned the, the other individuals. It's a tough situation if you're looking just to get some playing time. Mm-hmm. So again, no, no surprise for me. Yeah, absolutely. And, and that's, that's kind of where we're both saying the same thing there and you wish him the best, but um, I, I love, I love, um, I guess I'm just, cause I'm older. I'm, I'm loving the reactions by Oklahoma fans. You know, when a player goes in the transfer portal from, from Oklahoma, it's always like the world is ending, but when players come out of the transfer portal in, in Norman, Oklahoma, it's like, yeah, it's the greatest <laughs> thing ever. It's like, you know, the transfer portal giveth and the transfer portal <laughs> taketh away. But for Oklahoma, even though Stacey Wilkins is in there, the Sooners have gotten more than they ever gave to the transfer portal, particularly when you look at this year. This and, is true. And most recently, Trey Bradford. And, and again, I know, Rich, you and I are not going to see eye to eye on this, but here is another running back for the 2021 recruiting class because they're not bringing in Trey Bradford to have an impact in the fall of 2021. They're bringing in Trey Bradford to have an impact in the fall of 2022. And this is a done deal. It's not, I don't know that Bradford has officially made it, uh, made his announcement. So we may be kind of stepping out in front of him a little bit, but Trey Bradford is for sure coming to the university of Oklahoma. He's working out some transfer stuff uh, between LSU and, and, Norman, Oklahoma. We talked about this last week, basically said, I said uh, in the true or false segment that I thought this was going to happen. Uh, the two running backs, really the three mm -hmm. that were out there that I thought Trey Bradford was the one that was going to end up coming to Norman, Oklahoma. And then a week later, here he is. But again, you're getting a four-star kid who only has like 10 carries to his name uh, because he's only playing one season uh, at LSU. He's Lancaster, Texas. He was the number 13 running back in the 2020 recruiting class, the number 25 player from the state of Texas. This is a Oklahoma's getting a good running back and, and Trey Bradford. He averaged 5.8 yards a carry, but again, he only had 10 carries last season for LSU. He's going to come in most likely going to redshirt, but he's going to have an impact in 2022 and will be in the mix to push for a starting job a year from now. 
this is a good move for Oklahoma. At the end of the day, Matt, and, and looking into Trey Bradford's name and what he's capable of, some of the assessments that have been given, some of the video highlights that are out there from his high school days, you're hoping that a lot of that skill set transitions and transfers to the collegiate level almost seamlessly. And what, what I see in a guy like Trey Bradford is basically a perfect complement to a guy like a Marcus Major, who is mm-hmm. going to a, be who's going to be a bigger but bulkier running back, who's going to be your between the tackles kind of guy. Whereas Bradford's the guy who can really do a lot of damage on the edge. And what we know about Lincoln Riley is that he loves versatility in players and he loves being able to throw to his running backs. I think if Trey Trey Bradford can come in and prove that he has the ability to catch the ball consistently and make opponents pay much like Mikey Henderson did. Right. I think Mikey Henderson goes back to being an H back and Trey Bradford takes over the role that we, we may have expected a guy like Mikey Henderson to blossom into as that edge, a running back out of the backfield who can attack the edge. I just don't know why you're always hating on Mikey Henderson in the running back. position. I'm not hating on him. I just loved him as an H back. Again, it it comes down to versatility, versatility. (laughs) And I love Mikey Henderson's versatility. Yeah, you just just hating on the kid. You know, you you love his versatility, but you want him at the H back, not in not in the uh, the running back room. Um, It was a big weekend for Oklahoma uh, recruiting wise. They they did have their camp. um, A ton of a ton of offers went out this weekend from their camp, and honestly, Rich, there's so many that went out that. that you just, I'm just going to tell you, go to Twitter and, and find it because they're, they're all there. But I, I want to, when it comes to recruiting, what I want to talk about is a kid that wasn't in Norman over the weekend, but is a, I think an integral part of this Oklahoma recruiting class. And that's Gavin Salchuk, the uh, five-star, uh, four-star, five-star, depending on which service you look at, running back out of Littleton, Colorado. Here's what's good news for Oklahoma. I, he's, he already has crystal ball predictions coming to play for the University of Oklahoma, but Oklahoma fans are always worried about Alabama, particularly when it comes to running back and with good reason. And the latest news on, on Salchuk is that Alabama is, he's cooled way off on them in as much that he has USC, Ohio State, and Notre Dame ahead of Alabama right now uh, with Oklahoma leading the way. And so now instead of, instead of, instead of going head to head with Nick Saban, who Oklahoma has lost that battle two years running, you're still going head to head with Ohio state, which that's always going to be interesting to see how that plays out. But I'll take Oklahoma's chances over Notre Dame and and USC any day of the week when it comes to recruiting running back talent. So this becomes basically a two horse race between Oklahoma and Ohio state, in my opinion, with Oklahoma having just a slight edge over the Buckeyes. Mm. I don't know that that's a very difficult situation to play out in my mind because you see specifically Trey Sermon who at Oklahoma had a a solid career and was definitely building towards the NFL, but had a breakout season even more so than when he wore the crimson and cream when he was with the Buckeyes. I just don't know how much of that's going to play in to someone in their decision. I don't know how much, a guy like Ryan Day versus Lincoln Riley and two of the best offensive minds in the game currently are going to play against one another in the mind of a recruit. But I do have to agree with you when it comes to Notre Dame, when it comes to USC, I, I, I don't see them holding a candle to these other two universities. So it is a two horse race, of course, being Sooner fans, we hope that individuals, we hope that top tier talent projects well to the collegiate level, but also picks the Oklahoma Sooners and on the field is as productive as many had hoped they would be. And then again, has a a career in the NFL and continues to bring the accolades, continues to bring that recognition back to the university that they played for. But that's just a difficult, I feel like you could flip a coin if you're a recruit at the running back position and say, who do I want to play for? Lincoln Riley or Ryan Day, because you know you're going to get a lot of mileage and a lot of usage. Yeah, I do think you probably have the, if you're Lincoln Riley, you've got an advantage here on offensive talent just because of the 
the quarterback play, consistent quarterback play that's been coming out of Norman since Lincoln Riley. Uh, you know, go all the way back to Baker Mayfield with Lincoln Riley. And it's just been one star after another. And the Sooners are, uh, we're going to see Spencer Rattler be the next, uh, next NFL draft pick come from the, as the quarterback position from the University of Oklahoma. Rich, that's going to wrap it up for us on the Sooner Nation podcast. We'll be back later on the week. Uh, for another midweek episode. Uh, sorry about the long hiatus between podcast uh, episodes, but um, you know you got to do the real job to pay the bills. And uh, so, Rich, thanks for putting up with me. Uh, you can catch us at heartland-sports.com every day with some sort of thought or comment uh, on the Women's College World Series. We covered that from start to finish. Uh, we got football stuff coming up. Our Position rankings will be coming out uh, as far as Big 12 position rankings go. Uh, that's going to start coming out this month. You can also find us on Twitter at Sports Heartland and give us your thoughts on the podcast, where you agree, where you disagree. Uh, and feel free always to drop in your own true or false questions. We'll, we love to hear from you guys and get those involved as well. Have a fantastic weekend, everybody. Boomer Sooner.